0: Going Solo by Vicky Macaulay. On January 11, 2007, award-winning adventurer Andrew Macaulay bade an emotional farewell to his wife and toddler and set off on an epic journey. His aim? To paddle a sea kayak solo, 1,600 kilometres across the Tasman from Australia to New Zealand. Using extracts from Andrew's video diary and collected writings, his wife Vicky reveals a man born to push the limits and tells the story of his 30 days at sea. A light westerly blows. A sliver of sunlight filters through the clouds. History is unfolding before us. One man is about to cross the Tasman, alone. He is departing from Tasmania, bound for Milford Sound, New Zealand. The distance some 1,600 kilometres. His vessel, a kayak. A lifetime of adventure has led to this, the ultimate challenge for the 39-year-old. Two video cameras in waterproof casings are mounted on the deck to capture the journey. He tucks the small waterproof satchel containing the camera remote controls under his life vest. He presses record, takes a deep breath, swallows hard, turns in waves. See you, gorgeous? His voice betrays his emotions as he casts one final longing glance at his wife and young son, who sit huddled together on the shore, calling to him. He digs his paddle in for a sweep stroke to bring the bow around, manoeuvring his heavily laden craft with difficulty, and paddles off to a chorus of cheers from the small crowd. With each stroke of the blade, tears flow. Some years ago, Andrew McCauley had a dream. That dream involved a sea kayak, an open ocean, and some tough questions. What distance of open ocean can be safely crossed in a kayak? How much can a man endure, physically, emotionally, psychologically? And now, the time for answers. Overwhelmed by raw emotion, the floodgates open. He sobs uncontrollably. Water flicks off the paddle blade with each laboured stroke. He stops, turns, waves back at the shore and sobs louder with the sounds of ''See you, Daddy, love you'' fading away in the distance. ''Oh God,'' Andrew says to camera, ''please let me finish in one piece.'' He turns back to wave again. Another deluge of tears overwhelms him. His voice becomes very weak, almost frightened. I'm really worried I'm not going to see my wife again and my little boy and I'm very scared, I'm very scared. I've got a boy who needs a father and a wife who needs a husband and I'm wondering what I'm doing here and I don't have an answer. People ask me why and I love adventure, there's no doubt about that. I love adventure but it's not worth it if you die and this is a big dangerous ocean and all I want right now is to come back in one piece. I'm wondering if I shouldn't turn around and go back to shore. I wonder. Might be a smart thing to do. Guess I'm not always known for doing the smart thing. So instead of turning around, I'm going to keep going, keep paddling east, until I hit New Zealand. Water splashes rhythmically off the paddle blades. The light chop sloshes against the hull. Part of me says that fear is a bit illogical, Because it's only water, you know. The ocean's only water. The kayak's not going to sink. I know I can do it. I know I can do it. But then the reality hits. The ocean really is a big and scary place. And it can get very, very angry. And it's going to get very angry. The ocean is the boss. There's no doubt about it. I've got a lot of respect for it. The headland recedes behind him. Ominous grey clouds blanket the sky. Only 1,600 kilometres to go. What do you do when you love someone more than your own life, and when that someone tells you they have an uncontrollable urge to attempt some improbable feat, inherently fraught with danger? When you've nursed that someone back to health after falling from a cliff? When you've watched, horrified, through binoculars from a distant ridge, that someone disappearing from view as the side of a mountain was swept by an avalanche, what do you do? When that someone is your heart, your soul, your life, and the father of your child, what do you do? I chose to believe. I came to believe in a lot of things back in the spring of 1995. Well, I'm not sure if I ever really believed in love at first sight, but something happened, one warm September evening, something that changed my life forever. Our eyes met. Oh, my heart skipped a beat and I clutched at my chest. Tears glistened. A thrill of electricity ran through my entire body as we maintained our gaze. That was the moment I started to believe in life, in love, in everything. Our first date of sorts was rock climbing. Our destination? Walgan Valley in the southwestern corner of Wallamai National Park west of Sydney. I stared in wonder at the majestic beauty of the rugged sandstone cliffs towering above us and wondered why I'd never been here before. Life, from that day onwards, became an adventure. It's a peculiar Australianism that we tend to enjoy reducing people's names to a single syllable. During our first date, Andrew became Andy, and it didn't take too much longer before he became Ant. Sea kayaks are incredible things, Their simplicity belies their amazing seaworthiness. No other seagoing vessel can be rolled 360 degrees or pitch-polled end over end with no damage whatsoever. A recreational kayaker can have an awesome paddle in weather that sends many yachts running for shelter. As Ant himself wrote, I've always been drawn to challenges at the sharp end of what is possible, initially with climbing and mountaineering, and more recently with sea kayaking. My climbing life provided over a decade of intense experiences filled with joy, hardship, struggle and deep satisfaction. I lost several friends to the mountains and frostbite took bits of others. Climbing is an extremely unforgiving pastime. One stunning autumn day in Bungonia Gorge, New South Wales, I had a long and unplanned encounter with gravity. So it was that kayaking became a bigger part of who I am. The change was not immediate. Kayaking slowly took a bigger hold on me as I discovered the intimate pleasures that it offered and the fact that it didn't stress my damaged knee. I found it interesting that there were many challenges left to the ambitious paddler. There were many unclimbed peaks still waiting. Andrew's mother had great hopes that he would give up climbing after the Bungonia accident. I, unfortunately, was not at all the right woman to be discouraging his adventurous spirit Rather, I was intrigued, awed, and in total admiration of his passion for adventure, and I was, by that stage, firmly caught up in the adrenaline of life with my aunt. We had shared many a hair-raising experience, but with him I didn't question my ultimate safety. I had a strong belief that all would work out, no matter how hazardous a situation I found myself in. He had an overt self-assurance, not arrogance, In no way could he be described as arrogant, but he exuded a quiet confidence that led to my indelible faith in his abilities. He was my Superman, often very Clark Kent, mild, humble, but always Superman. I think many mothers would agree that giving birth and instantly becoming responsible for someone else's life other than your own makes you somewhat risk-averse. I felt an overwhelming need for safety and security when Finlay was born in May 2003. Ant surprised me with his adaptability. He effortlessly swapped the paddle for nappies and then back to the paddle. He commuted to work via kayak down the Parramatta River after driving from our home in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney to Parramatta, so training time would impact less on baby time. He dodged ferries under Sydney Harbour Bridge and pulled up next to the Opera House slung the kayak over his shoulder and marched up to his job as a network analyst in the Coca-Cola Amateur office at Circular Quay. One day he arrived home wetter than usual. The kayak's leaking, he said. The CEO had backed his BMW into it in the car park. By the time he set off to attempt what would be a record-making crossing of the Tasman Sea, Solo, and below the 40th parallel, he had already achieved many astonishing feats in a kayak including the gruelling, non-stop solo crossing of the Gulf of Carpentaria, for which the Australian Geographic Society awarded him 2004 Adventurer of the Year. Preparing for the Tasman Challenge, Ant had this to say, When someone is lost in the outdoors, people often say that they died doing what they loved, as though this somehow makes it better. Well, perhaps it is better than dying crossing the road on the way to work, but it still doesn't make it worth it, in my opinion. No adventure is worth dying for. The bottom line is that life is more precious than any of these things. The paradox is that some of us need to put it at risk to really understand that and to feel the intensity of this gift we have. The trip scares me. Some of the weather maps scare me to the core. This begs the question, why should I do this anyway? I have a lot to lose. I have a beautiful wife with whom I share the deepest respect and love. I have a wonderful baby boy, parents and siblings whom I love with all my soul. While I risk my life, I also know that losing me will cause all of them pain and suffering that I have no right to inflict. It's clear to me that many of my expeditions are selfish endeavours. The crossing of the Tasman Sea stands tall as the riskiest and the most selfish of them all. But then, what would Captain Cook's family have said? Or Shackleton's? or Christopher Columbus's, or Edmund Hillary's. While I was not off to discover new land, the drive and motivation behind my expeditions is essentially the same. It is a journey of personal discovery, an extreme test of endurance and of the inner spirit. By risking death, and doing so in a very careful and calculated manner, I live a life of intensity and deep satisfaction. Having first set off on December 2, 2006, Andrew made the difficult decision to abandon his attempt after just one day because hypothermia was setting in. After modifying his kayak and gear, he set off again on January 11, 2007. Tasman Sea, Approx 43.54S, 151.10E. Day 6, January 16, 2007. Water sloshes on the hull. A speck on the sea in the dark, dark night. The dull light of an LED beam shines into a tired, balaclava-clad face. The sea state's building up quite a lot and it's pretty rough. This is a trip that has taken me closer to the edge, nearer to my limit than any other trip has ever done. And in fact, I wonder if I'm exceeding my limit at times. I've never done anything as hard as this and I hope I... Well, I never will do anything as hard as this again in the future. I capsized a couple of days ago and... That made me feel how vulnerable I really am. And this cockpit area that I'm sleeping in is just ridiculous, you know. It's wet all the time, I can't dry off. I've got pressure sores on my backside already. It's only day six. I'm looking at 30 days for this trip. Drops of icy ocean splash in through the open hatch, showering his face. So it's howling, it's windy, there's big waves. I'm in a kayak, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'd rather be at home. I can't wait for this to finish. You know, I live for adventure. I love it and I savour it. But on this particular occasion, it's just that far out there. I'm so extended and it's so dangerous that I'm looking forward to it being over. I really am. But I've got a long way to go. I've only done 350 k's and I've got to do 1,600. Crossing Antarctica is nothing compared to this man. It's funny because I kind of love it and I'm. I fear it as well. I guess everything that I've ever learned in two decades of outdoor adventure is coming together in this trip. And still, I think I can pull it off. I think I can. I just need a little bit of luck with the weather. But it's tough, man. It's tough. While Ant was out there, it was my job to update the daily entries on his website. He specifically wanted me to keep it upbeat and positive. On day 11, 21 January 2007, I wrote, I could sense the excitement in Andrew's text message this evening. He'll pass the one-third way mark tonight. I thought back on my day, chatting with other mums in the park as we pushed swings for excited little children. They spoke of mundane things, but my mind was so removed from the everyday. I was aware of the need to remain focused on the normality of life at home with a three-year-old, but often I felt that I was there in body only. My spirit was out in the Tasman with the other most important thing in my life. I was longing for that day, only a couple of weeks from now, when I'd run into the water and wrap my arms around him and cry for joy and sheer relief. Ant sent through regular text messages, but he only had so many characters with which to construct them, and spelling and punctuation were low on his priority list when he was battling huge seas, so sometimes it was like deciphering code. The message on day 17, 27 January 2007 read Wind 25 kTS. WNW Sky Low CLD. Rain. POS 45 OOS 158 e No picnic today. 35 kT north for most. We'll start moving north. Pressure Approx 987 UR watch. Out of b out of battery this more. Morale was very high in the supporters' camp by now. He was actually doing it, not that there was ever any doubt from my perspective. The news about his watch disturbed me. He relied on it, and not only to stay punctual with his evening situation reports, it also had a barometer, which he would be sorry to be without. And of course there was that psychological aspect. Without the watch to mark off those hours, I could only imagine how much more mentally gruelling the trip would become. On day 22, February 1, Finlay and I flew into New Zealand. It was with mixed emotions we stepped off the plane. We were justifiably thrilled with the anticipation of our reunion, which promised to be only a week away. Family and friends flew in to join us. Our excitement was heavily laced with trepidation, though. I knew Ant had difficulty accessing recent tidal charts for the approach to the coast, so he was to some extent paddling into the unknown. The ocean topography off the coast of Milford Sound consists of deep troughs and ridges, which tend to cause unpredictable currents. Our meteorological consultant, experienced sailor Jonathan Bogey, had warned him of this. But he was so close now. He had come so far. It was nearly over. Ant called me on his satellite phone on the night of Tuesday, February 6, day 27. He sounded strong and focused. He was feeling good and relieved that the elusive land of the long white cloud Was almost within reach. We received Ant's situation reports by text message on Wednesday and Thursday. All was on schedule for him to make land on Sunday. On the Friday evening, we had a call from the New Zealand Rescue Coordination Centre. They'd had a VHF message from someone identifying themselves as Kayak One. It was hard to make out. Could it be Andrew? Help, I need a rescue, the caller had said. No, Andrew wouldn't say help, I told them. He'd follow the correct protocol. He would issue a mayday. It's not him. Must be one of the many hoax calls they receive each year. I just hope that Andrew is oblivious to all this and he's merrily paddling away out there, I said. The following night we were back in our room. Getting Finlay showered and ready for bed was a task due to his increasing excitement. Only one more sleep, then we'll see Daddy. It was after ten o'clock and I was trying, with little success, to settle him. There was a knock on the door. I answered it, and in stepped a policeman who introduced himself as Constable James Ewer of Tayanar Police, and with him a woman he introduced as Margaret from Victim Support. Before he could say another word, Margaret took a step towards me, arms outstretched, wearing a sombre expression full of empathy. I pushed her away. What is she doing here? I demanded. The kayak has been found. Your husband isn't with it. By Monday, I hadn't slept or eaten since James Ewer walked into that room. The search that had been launched when they found the kayak was into its 60th hour. The sea temperature was 16 degrees Celsius. The Australian government had intervened the night before when New Zealand authorities had spoken of calling off the search. One more day, they insisted. This was it, the last day. I remember nothing of it except 7.30pm. Sergeant Todd Holobon of Anau Police called the family together. He approached me, laid a tender hand on my shoulder and said, The search is over. Andrew has not been found. My world dissolved. Editor's note. Andrew is believed to have been within sight of New Zealand when he died. His body has never been found. On September 20, 2007... Vicky and Finlay McCauley accepted the Australian Geographic Lifetime of Adventure Award on Andrew's behalf, the first time the award was made posthumously. For more RD talks, visit ReadersDigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.